Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that will always get paid what's in our contract. Nothing. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We'll talk about some real news. We've got a vintage review of Unbreakable, the 2000 film directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And our main review is M. Night Shyamalan's new film, Old, only available to watch in cinemas. You can get a dodgy copy online. I'm sure you can, yeah. Don't. Do not. So, yeah, quite a milestone this week. We both went to the cinema together, James. That was quite a novelty, wasn't it? It was, yeah, it was. Nice to uh, see you in the flesh. Yeah, you too. The car park was rammed, though. I didn't like that. Too many people. Yeah, I parked right outside the cinema. Didn't really notice that, so I don't know whether you just arrived at the wrong time. Don't know. Quite a lot going on, though. You said there was some singing or something. There was some singing, but it was just a, a woman outside of a, a Bolton FM van. Probably not even paired by them, just busking on the sly. And it looked like there was some sort of car boot sale going on in the um, Bolton Wanderers Stadium car park. I don't know. I think there was. it was a beehive of activity. Yeah. The car boot sale in the uh, Bolton Wanderers arena was probably them selling off the seats and shirts of all the players as they sink further into money problems. Anyway, um, as I say, very nice to see you. I became really ill afterwards, though, and I started to think that I had COVID and worried that you might have caught it too. Turned out I just had a takeaway and got a stomach bug. I think that's what happened. Bedridden for three days. So not great. Not great at all. How's your week been? Any better than that? I don't have an anecdote, but I have, I have a comment on the previous episode. Shoot. Something that wasn't great is in last week's episode, I talked about two things. Number one, Godzilla Singular Point and King Rocker that features a narrative through line about a King Kong statue. Godzilla, King Kong, I didn't make the link. I didn't make the link when I was talking about those two things, which are so totally unrelated. A Japanese anime on Netflix and a Stuart Lee documentary about an obscure band. How, how could I not make that link to try and draw those things together? What an absolute idiot. Well, if it makes you feel any better, James, you posted on Instagram this week with those images uh, featuring both those characters, and I didn't draw the link either until you've just said it. So don't be ashamed. Just own it and, and move on. Okay. Shall we move on to what we've been watching? Yes. Would you like to go first? Yes, I'll go first. With a hot topic. Echo, echo, echo. Uh, Alan Partridge there. Masters of the Universe, Revelation, which is the hot topic among YouTubers and commentators because of how it's angered the fans and it's being review-bombed and Kevin Smith is defending himself from relentless attacks on Twitter. Whilst also saying that 95% of the comments that he sees are positive. So I'm not really sure what's happening there. It's a new cartoon on Netflix about the classic, much-loved character of He-Man, who's the most well-known of all the characters in the, in the series. He-Man, I'm sure we all remember as the main character, and he's the main character in the trailer, He-Man. I'm not a super fan I loved the Dolph Lundgren film. I think we brought brought that up a few weeks ago. I did have some of the toys. I have a very clear memory of owning He-Man and Battle Cat 
the man at arms and Skeletor and the twisty eye guy, Tri Trilops. I'm too young for the original 80s cartoon, so that's on the table. I don't have skin in the game. However, this is very obviously, and I've watched all of it, this is very obviously another case of a property being deconstructed and restructured around current trends. It's also the least subtle case that I've seen. By the end of episode one, spoilers, they've removed He-Man from the story, dismantled existing hierarchies and collapsed the internal meta-narrative in which magic is the ruling force of the universe. Episode one starts with an exciting, nostalgic battle with familiar characters, and by the end of episode two, it is no longer recognisable, and the final shot of the all-female team is sending a very clear message all male characters are dismissed humiliated or killed female characters are pushed to the top when teela who is the main character of this when she comes in in the first two minutes the queen says teela you look like a warrior goddess her dad says i've watched with pride as you grew to be a brilliant technician a lethal warrior and a master strategist it's it's laughable how hard she's being pushed it's like roman Reigns' first push uh, Prince Adam, who's He-Man, gives her a friendly hug from behind and Teela out-wrestles him and says, I fought the forces of Snake Mountain. Do you think I couldn't defend against your attack? Adam says, it was just a hug. Then Adam says, you've never had to prove anything to me. You're the most ready person I've ever met. The, the push is so hard. It's so hard. It's no wonder that this version of the character, of the Teela character, has been rejected. Add in that Evil Lynn gives a, a glass ceiling speech about not realising a full potential because Skeletal was the boss. It's not all just a coincidence at, at this point. It's not just, oh, this is the story that we're telling. This is The Last Jedi of Masters of the Universe. I'm, I'm stealing that line from somewhere else, but it really is. It, it's true. It, it can't be denied. Now, something is happening. I don't know what it is. But something is happening. And when you you can just watch the first two episodes, which is 45 minutes of this, and you, you can see there's an obvious deconstruction of these properties for some reason. And a very clear agenda, it sounds like. Does anybody insist on being addressed in the right with the right pronoun in this? No. Oh, right. Okay. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm just wondering how much it's pushing these things in. Right, okay, so stream or skip it, skip it, I guess. Definitely. Skip. Yeah. skip. If you didn't get that point across, you'd failed, right? Yeah, I failed. Un unless, unless you want to see a case study in how these properties are being taken and taken apart for some reason, which is not quite clear yet. One more thing on Master of the Universe. In response to the criticism, Kevin Smith has said, Teela has always been there. What are you talking about? She's always been there. This isn't new. But then in an interview with Sarah Michelle Gellar, who voices Teela, she has said, oh, there's, it, was, it seemed like there was never a character who represented me that I could relate to. Well, both of those things can't be true at the same time. So they can't even get the bullshit straight. Well, I don't know what else to say, James. I think you've argued your point very well, and surely... Dozens, if not hundreds of people will be turning away 
in the drawers, although the program itself will do that. So mm. never mind. What else have you been watching? Apocalypse Wow on ITV2. And this airs on Fridays at 10 p.m. after Love Island. It is a celebrity game show in which celebrities, and that is the term is used very loosely, go into a Mad Max Thunderdome type setting to compete in challenges with buff super people who have a specific skill like pole dancing or oil wrestling or using a whip. It's had some of the worst reviews you'll ever see for anything. The Guardian review says the worst thing you will ever see with your eyes in a (laughs) one-star review. And you have to watch one episode of this. It has to be seen to be believed. It's got 3.4 on IMDb. It was 2.6. And that, that's fair. I'm not saying it's, it's good. But when you start watching it, it looks like it could be a family entertainment program like Total Wipeout. But then everyone starts dropping F-bombs. And in the first moments, the kind of overseer of things, the Tina Turner type characters... She says, friends, lovers, bastards, are you ready for the show? (laughs) And the celebrities that are all like Love Island and TOWIE alumni, they start swearing. And at the beginning of each game, the teenage Turner type person, she says, get ready, strap on to start the game going. It's so, it's weirdly adult as well. It is is adult. It's on a Friday at 10 p.m. The iconic scene that shows we've reached the end of civilization is an oily wrestling challenge, and the super person that all the celebrities have to beat is called Hot Slippy Jesus. And he's introduced as Hot Slippy Jesus. And the phrase Hot Slippy Jesus is repeated a million times. And Scarlet, you know, Scarlet Moffat from Gogglebox. Yeah. And- Queen of the Queen of the Jungle. She's the most recognizable person in this. She says, "How the f- are we going to beat Jesus?" It's it's so bizarre. But watch the first episode, smile, and then and then move on. You've completely sold me on that. To be honest, it's far too intriguing for me to not give it a go. So, and all them games sound sexual in nature anyway. So oil wrestling pole dancing and whipping there's a game yeah the whipping one is where there are candles in a ring and there's a man in the middle and he has to use a whip to put them out and the celebrities have to try to light the candles so it's a challenge to see can we light a certain number of candles before this guy whips them out and they when they first bring the celebrities in they unmask them and it's a gimp that takes the mask off and he's addressed as the gimp word right i'm gonna have to check this out okay thank you for that apocalypse wow daniel what have you been watching i watched you'll never adam and eve another true crime documentary this is netflix once again and i think i might have mentioned this before so i do apologize if i'm repeating myself but we've done over 60 odd hours of this podcast now it's going to be a bit of repetition here and there um netflix are quite known to drag out these series. They, they could be quite nice and bite-sized, but they just they just drag it on far too much. They've listened. They've listened to these common complaints, and this one's only three episodes, and it's Sophie, a murder in West Cork, 
and it's fascinating. It's about the murder of a French woman, Sophie Tuscon de Plantier. Butchered that. Uh, this murder occurred in Country Cork in Ireland in the mid-1990s. And all I knew about this case was that it was the subject of an audible podcast about three or four years ago that I did not listen to, and it was unsolved. And I'll avoid things like this because I, I want answers. If it doesn't have any, I'm not interested. I think you reviewed the... Oh, what's the one in the hotel? Another Netflix one that led nowhere. The Vanishing at Cecil Hotel, in which a woman went missing in an unsolved case. Yeah, so I never even bothered with that because the complaint was that it doesn't go anywhere. There's no answers. But I thought, no, fair enough. I'm hearing good things about this. I'll give it a go, despite the fact that it's unsolved. And it centres its attention on one key prime suspect in the case, who, in fact, minor spoiler, was the primary local reporter and journalist on the murder at the time, which is, I would imagine, unusual. And his name is Ian Bailey. The evidence against him, even though it's circumstantial, it's so ridiculously overpowering that you can't help but think it's him. And you could think, oh, there's an agenda here. They're trying to paint him as the only guilty party, but there's just too much to it. I mean, this guy has eight people on the island who all say that he confessed to this murder. And that's not the only evidence here. There's a lot more. The thing that I liked about this that I didn't see coming, they actually interview him within the documentary. And that is very eye-opening because it does prompt questions like, you know, can you be deemed guilty based on the fact that you're an oddball alone? In today's society, 100%, you definitely can. But there is more to it than that. There's some interesting shocks along the way that you won't see coming, so it does keep things fresh throughout. It's a case that has spanned, I think it's 25 years now, and I think they did a really solid job of bringing it all together. And despite it being unsolved, it does have some form of resolution to it at the end, which was nice to see. Um, It probably is worth noting, there's two documentaries about this, both of which came out in the same month. There's this. And then there's a five-parter by Oscar-winning filmmaker Jim Sheridan, and it's called Murder at the Cottage, The Search for Sophie. Uh, Sorry, The Search for Justice for Sophie. That's currently airing on Sky. Both the exact same subject matter. I haven't seen that one, so I can't comment. They're both very similar ratings on IMDb. I opted for this one because it's shorter, and without knowing any different, I don't feel like I've missed out, and I think it's well worth your time. So that's... Sophie, a murder in West Cork on Netflix. Very good. Well, if you recommend it based on your knowledge of crime scene documentaries, then I'm definitely interested. What else have you been watching? This came out of nowhere. A film arrived on Now TV called Hunter Hunter. And I thought, oh, never heard of this. And every now and again, you'll stumble upon something with no expectations. And it completely takes you by surprise. And this, for me, is one of those films. And I'd described this to the missus in layman's terms. I said, do you want to watch a generic people trapped in the woods being hunted by a predatory animal? Or do you want to watch something else? I can't remember what the other option was. She wouldn't make her mind up. Typical. I thought, okay, let's just give this a go. And I'm, I'm so glad that I did. 
describing this in the way that I just did is not a fair description at all. I mean, it is that to an extent, but it's also so much more. And I do want to be very careful because this ends up not being the film you were promised, but in the best possible way. I'm not going to hint too much why, because that will ruin it again, but it takes a pretty stale and well-worn plot and does something imaginative and unexpected with it. I'm not saying it's completely like, oh my God, this is revolutionary, but just didn't proceed in the manner that I thought it would. If you like the wilderness as a backdrop to a cinematic story, if you're a fan of horror or thrillers, I beg you to watch this. You will not be disappointed. And if you do, if you are, rather, you can ask for your money back. Although if it's a subscription fee to now TV, you're getting loads of other content. I'm not going to give you anything. I was gripped throughout this. I had an absolute whale of a time in a depressingly grim way. I think it's brilliant and it would not surprise me if this is in my top 10 list at the end of the year because it was that damn good. I've been purposely vague. James, I believe you have seen this. Um, can you do more justice to explaining why this is good, if you agree, whilst remaining spoiler-free? I agree, fully agree. When we were talking offline, you told me to watch it and you just said, I'm not saying anything. It's about a man hunting a wolf. Go and watch it. OMG, oh my God. It, it, it was, as, as you say, totally unexpected. The pacing is slow, isn't it? It's very slow, but it draws you in with the, the building dread. And it sets up pretty simple elements, not revolutionary new elements like you say, but it lets you panic for 70 minutes thinking, what's going to happen? What is going to happen to this stuff that you've set up? This is not going to end well. And just to highlight Camille Sullivan, who's in it, she has a lot to do. She's, she's alone on screen for a lot of the time and not saying anything, just reacting to things. And she's having to tell this sparse story by herself. And she's excellent in this. Very, very good. So fully agree. I'm glad you recommended it. Very welcome. And if anybody wants a bit of a blast for the from the past or they want to feel better about how they look 20 years down the line, witness Devon Sauer and Nick Style, who were film stars from the early 2000s. My God, they've not aged well, but they both appear in this and they're very good in it. And I think it's a bit of a return to the acting career for them both. So good luck to them. Nice to see them in, in a very good film as well. Not some straight to video nonsense. Yeah. Nick Style may be best known for being John Connor in Terminator 3. Yes. Yeah. I don't know about the other guy. I've never heard of him. What was, what's he been in? He was the main guy in the very first Final Destination, which still holds a special place in my heart. Love that film. Yeah. Love seeing people die in various different ways. On film. <laughs> yeah. Slight aside, doesn't have to go into the Instagram post. We both watched Sexy Beast this week as well, didn't we? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, we did. Also gonna... in the Netflix top 10, along with Masters of the Universe. It, I think it, it, I, did you, I, were you the same as me? We saw a trailer and thought, this is so bizarre that I have to watch it. I, I thought that from the thumbnail alone. I thought, hang on a minute, what's this? Five minutes in, I was, what's the word? I, I was not saying I was hooked because I wasn't, but I was, I was tricked, I think, maybe, into seeing it through for another 30 minutes and then regretting what I'd done, but still feeling, feeling compelled to skip forward past the next three episodes. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just say quickly, Sexy Beasts is a dating show where the people on the date wear heavy prosthetics of animals 
usually. So in episode one, Emma, she will date three men and she can't see what they look like. And then at the end of the episode and you say, oh, well, will she still like him once she finds out what he looks like? And as you pointed out in our pre-cinema meal, the premise of the show is trying to be, can people see see past people's looks? Can you can they like someone despite not knowing what they look like? But the whole idea is, I really hope you still fit once I see you. So looks are still important. Kind of kiboshes the whole sentiment behind it, really, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Does it warrant more conversation? No, really? no. It just, it just, just that it all, it all fails because everyone in it is good looking. Everyone. Yeah. Like male or female. So I watched the first episode. And I think did you did you skip to the end of all of them? Because that's what I did, just to see what they look like. I did it for the next three, and then I realized how redundant what I was doing was. Like if I hadn't seen three people dressed as animals in the first three minutes, I would never question what they look like without prosthetics. So why even get myself to a point where I, I had that urge to see the reveal. So I just did it for the next two episodes and I thought, I'm done now. I don't need to see more of this. This is terrible. Yeah. So everyone is good looking. So there is no episode in which someone says, oh, you're so ugly. I'm now going to reject you. Yeah. And there is quite a funny part. I think we mentioned this offline as well, where it's quite a well-built guy. He's an absolute machine of a man and he is finally revealed to his partner and they're both very happy because they're both good-looking people. And she makes a comment about the weather and, oh, it's a bit cold. Um, and he takes off his jacket. And you can see in her eyes, she's like, oh, my God, what a gentleman. And they just spins around and he's like, look at it. This is what you got. He's not taking his jacket off to offer it her in the cold weather. He's literally displaying his physique. And it is so shallow and embarrassing, which pretty much summarises probably most of the people on the show. Sexy Beast on Netflix. Don't bother. It's the real thing. It is now. Real, real news. News. The big one, Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney for breach of contract after it streamed her superhero film Black Widow at the same time as its cinema release. This has even made it to BBC News. This is how big it is. The film's made... $218 million in its first weekend, but box office receipts then fell sharply. And Ms. Johansson argues she was deprived of potential earnings. Disney say had fully complied with her contract, but Ms. Johansson said she was promised by Marvel Studios, owned by Disney, that Black Widow would be a theatrical release. And she'd understood it to mean that a window of time would pass before it was streamed on Disney+. Plus a period that traditionally lasted for 90 days. I think she's looking for 50 million back from Disney. When she was already paid 20 million. Greedy, greedy. No, I don't know. There's two ways of looking at this, isn't there? There's the cynical, haven't you got enough money? Really? Do you need this? No, you probably don't. But if it's to be believed, 50 million dollars is a lot to just go, yeah, it's all right. So I can understand why she might want to kick up a bit of a fuss about this. Filing a lawsuit's not really called kicking up a fuss, is it? But I don't know. I'm in two minds about this one. I I think, like I say, 50 million is a lot of money, so fair play to her. 
I thought it was interesting though that she her doing this firmly divorces herself from the universe now. She has put the final nail in that coffin. She's she's not going to work with them again, I don't think. Because even Disney have come out, haven't they, and said, uh, quote, this is especially sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. So they're not mincing the words. I think this is this is the end of the relationship between them. Given that Disney owns everything now, she might be over. Her career is over. Yeah, well, she might not get another payday like this again. I'm torn as well. There's, there's definitely two very vocal sides to it. One is the Twitter side who hate old rich people and just think, well, she's already got enough money. This is This is foolish. And then there's the simps on the Marvel Studios subreddit who refer to Scarlett Johansson by a first name. They're on first name terms. They say, well, Scarlett deserves to have this. Scarlett is just looking for what was in her contract. So, yeah, there's definitely two sides to it. And it's not as simple as saying they've just not paid her. It seems to me more like there was an expectation of this much money but then because of how Disney have managed the release, there's going to be less money. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've with, with they've withheld anything. They've made a decision that's reduced the amount of money that she's got. So on the one hand, I'm thinking, yes, definitely go after Disney. Definitely go after the evil corporation who do evil corporation-y things. But also, how many millions do you need and like Disney have said, hate to agree with Disney. The, the timing, it just doesn't look very good to be saying, well, where's my 50 million? Yeah, and I, I think there's a lot of truth in what you were saying that it's going to be really hard. I think not being a legal expert, going to hold my hands up there, I know nothing about the legal system, but I think given the state of the industry and us slowly returning to normality, I don't think you can quantify what this could look like earnings wise because we're not seeing pre-covid box office figures so what she may have initially been promised might just not even be feasible in a world like today you don't know so it might just get thrown out on that basis but like i said based on no legal fact or knowledge whatsoever yeah on the point that you made about burning bridges i think the bridge was burnt when she was in the press interview saying that black widow was hypersexualized in her interviews she was already criticizing disney and criticizing the character so she said oh this this character was hypersexualized what a shame never liked it but also give me 50 million dollars for it that's for comment because it happened like two weeks ago i'd forgotten about it because so much has happened since but yeah it's uh, been a steady end to that that relationship the green knight has been pulled from theatres. This is a A24 film. We're quite a fan, I think, if I'm remembering that rightly, of A24 Studios. They put out some really good stuff lately. Struggling to remember one of them right now. Um, St. Maud was one of them, I think. Um, Jesus. The the, Bill Murray, a couple of one. On the Rocks, that, that was one. Like. On the Rocks, yep. And yeah. the, they're going to yeah. bring out Lola, which is one of my most anticipated films of the summer about the stripper from Twitter. So 
building up steadily uh, a really fine track record, a 24 film. Uh, and this is a horror film, uh, The Green Knight, that stars Dev Patel. A lot of hype around this. A few early reviews have come out as well. And people are saying it's it's borderline a masterpiece. So I was quite hyped for this. And I guess I'm just going to have to wait because it's not coming out now. And the whole reason behind this is as COVID cases have continued to rise in the UK, or at least they had until the last few days, it's just too daunting of a scenario at the minute. Nobody knows what position we're going to be in in a few weeks' time, and people are worried that it could impact a box office receipt. So they have pulled the film. And it made me think this is... All right, you might look at a film like this. I'm sure it's not as big budget as a film like Bond, and therefore every penny counts. But does this point towards maybe more of this happening and what we thought were pretty clear set-in-stone dates for the likes of films such as Bond? Maybe we're not that certain, and we could be looking at 2022 if things continue to worsen. Do you have any thoughts on this? Not going to lie, I've not even heard of this Green Knight film but i agree maybe it's not going to be plain sailing and a return to cinemas which is a shame but maybe a24 have their own unique reasons that don't apply to the really huge films like james bond and then we've discussed this in the past haven't we but there's so many timely product placement and advertisement pieces attached to bond that to delay it again will probably just be too much of an impact. I just don't think they can suffer the financial loss. So I live in hope that they can't afford to remove it from cinemas, despite the fact that it will like make less money. <laughs> but we will see. And that's that's all I got. That's all I found that was of note, really, on the internet this week. Did you have anything else? Well, Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall are leaving Doctor Who in 2022 but i think we both care so little about doctor who that we can't really react to it i'm glad that jodie whittaker will be freed up to do things that i may actually be interested in watching because i like her as an actress but yes i have sod all interest in the world of doctor who and its cheap landscape speaking of cheap bruce willis now stars in about 20 plus films a year making the front cover on nearly all of them to only appear in the film for less than five minutes. But there was a time before all this when he wasn't quite so cheap and made his name in box office blockbusters, one of which is Unbreakable from the year 2000. IMDb. Oh, 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 oh. So she wants some Groundhog Day, some Glengarry Ross, a little Lolita, Definitely set this podcast off right. I'm D, I'm D, I'm D, I'm D, I'm D, I'm D, Oh yeah. Well, 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 well. She said she wants some war of the world, some book to perdition, some starter for ten. We definitely set this podcast off right. I'm D, I'm D, yes it yes, will. I'm D, it definitely I'm D, will. Oh yes it will. You know what I told her? Well, well, well. David, a security guard, survives a fatal train accident only to be tracked down by a man named Elijah Price, who claims that David is blessed with superhuman abilities. James, as is ever the case with this section, it's been 20-odd years since you've seen this film. What were your thoughts then? 
What are they now? Tell me what you're thinking. I remember watching this very clearly. I have very specific memories of really appreciating the colours, the music, especially in the train station scene, and I remember it really well. I also remember that when it came out, the reaction was, it's not as good as Sixth Sense or whatever, but I preferred it to the Sixth Sense, and I liked the speeches that Samuel Jackson gives about comic books. Revisiting it, I've seen it many times before, and I had it on DVD. I know it very well. And revisiting it, it still holds up, and it's even more interesting to watch it now as we reach a point where the superhero films are as big as they can possibly be where it's all CG and the actors, it's just their heads on screen surrounded by CG, but this is all done on a very, very small scale. And the most insightful comment that was made about this, I don't remember who said it, was that Unbreakable is the first act of a superhero film, but stretched out into a whole film. So it's the discovery of the powers, the first small-time villain takedown, and that's the whole film. And I think it works really well. As I said, the colours, it's all muted colours, but then you'll have the splashes of Samuel L. Jackson wearing purple or the orange man or when Bruce Willis is in the train station with his hands out and he's discovering who's done crimes. There's like a guy in a yellow, a yellow shirt who was at a party in a yellow shirt. And that links into the idea of it being like a comic book story where you have very distinctive colours indicating different things. The music really lifts it to another level. James Newton Howard. The soundtrack is on Spotify. The first song on Spotify is Visions, and that's a really cool, awesome track that I've listened to again many times. It's good to see a Bruce Willis performance where he's motivated. I think he is <laughs> very good in this. It's very understated, like the whole film is understated, but I think he does really well. He's middle-aged man who isn't really doesn't really care what's going on but he comes to this realization that maybe he should be a hero maybe he should do the right thing Bryce can we talk about the note that you left on my car I've studied the form of comics intimately I spent a third of my life in a hospital bed with nothing else to do but read I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history the Egyptians drew on walls. Countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms. I believe comics are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced. Then, of course, those experiences and that history got chewed up in the commercial machine, got jazzed up, made titillating cartoons for the sale rack. This city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. I watched the news, waiting to hear a very specific combination of words, but they never came. Then one day I saw a news story about a train accident, and I heard them. There is a sole survivor, and he is miraculously unharmed. Samuel L. Jackson is also excellent in it because there's a twist coming at the end, but until then, he just plays a very disturbed man, an obsessed man. And he plays that, that pain 
very well. It's an underrated performance, I think, from Samuel L. Jackson. And even Spencer Treat Clark, who's a boy, and he's just reacting to how amazing his father is. He's really good as well. I really like this film a lot. It's one of my, not all-time favourites, but it is our favourite. And it's pro- it is my favourite M. Night Shyamalan film. It is, I would even go as far as saying it is, it's bold and radical, not bold and radical in the way that Masters of the Universe is, but bold and radical in that let's make a superhero film, but in a way that no one else has ever done before or since. What do, what did you think about Unbreakable at the time? And what do you think now? Um, I struggle with this one to cast my mind back and fully remember what my opinions were when I watched it I don't think I was that keen on it I think a big part of that was my reception to a film like The Sixth Sense I'm not seeing I'm tainted by director's previous works and I instantly go in with you know I'm gonna hate this but I already knew the plot twist in The Sixth Sense and because of that everyone was banging on about it just constantly and then when I came to watch it I was like oh, I feel a bit underwhelmed so I came into this thinking, right, well, I know nothing about this. What do I think? And from memory, as I say, I just was a bit lukewarm. I don't think I was, I don't think I hated it. I don't think I was very keen either. And as such, I've never gone back and revisited this film until two years ago and very recently for this podcast. The, In fact, the only lasting impression this film had on me was the fact that one of my friends, Neil, shortly after this film's release, we were on a bike ride and he going full whack down a pavement, went into a lamppost with his knuckle going about 25 miles per hour. And I was like, I saw it happen. I was like, oh my God, wow. Oh, he's going to have absolutely shattered his hand. Got up off his bike. He went, can't feel anything. I think I'm Bruce Willis and unbreakable. <laughs> like that, that's what he thought had happened. That was my takeaway from this film was that childhood memory. I don't really, uh, I hadn't remembered much else. But yeah, given that Glass came out a few years ago, I thought, no, I want to be involved in this. Glass is going to be excellent. It's going to be one of the best films of this year. Let's climb aboard the hype train. And I watched Unbreakable and I watched Split. And I was really pleasantly surprised as to, obviously then being 19 years old, it held up really well. I don't think there's much here from a, you know, the era itself that holds it back and you think, oh God, I don't even identify with this anymore. It's It holds up very well and it's, as you said, there's not a huge reliance on CGI because it's trying to tell a simpler tale and it's quite understated. It's not all CGI heavy. I, I really, really enjoyed it second time around and I'm finding more and more that my memory is called into question because I think this is probably one of six examples now where I've gone back and revisited films that I don't like and I've turned around to have the completely opposite point of view. So yeah, really, really enjoyed this film. Then I watched Glass, then it completely shat on my memory of this film as well. So just to end on a sour note. I never watched Glass. I don't remember why. I think it came out to such bad reviews that I thought, well, I've got Unbreakable. I don't need it to be ruined by this rubbish it's still worth watching out of morbid curiosity, I would say, because it is, it is batshit crazy. Okay. Another reason it holds up is that Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson both look more or less the same 20 years later. Yeah. 
They both look good. That's a compliment, is what I'm saying. It's a good job he didn't use either of them for his latest film then, isn't it? In which they are required to edge. That was textbook. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is M. Night Shyamalan's Old. Are we there yet? This beach, it's beautiful. My swimsuit is hurting. They do look small. Let's play hide and seek. Have you seen my children? Mom, I'm right here. He was six years old this morning. Oh no. Mom, I'm scared. There's something wrong with this beach. We were chosen for a reason. What's happening? I don't know. I can't think. After Earth is ravaged by a global pandemic, and most of the population watched their lives slip by, M. Night Shyamalan seeks to make sense of it all with his latest film, Old, a tale of unbreakable strength and resolve amidst unnatural biological decline. Travelling from the village nearby, a bunch of unsuspecting holidaymakers venture off to the beach for a relaxing day out, but a dead lady in the water will surely ruin the visit. Fraught with anxiety and uncertainty, the group split off into various factions and begin to show signs of aging at an increasingly rapid rate. Many of the group begin to panic whilst others bury their heads in the sand whilst pleading the sixth. Sense goes out the window for the rest of the plot, leading most of the audience to ask what the hell is the happening? That's impre- that was impressive. I'm, I, I'm, I'm amazed you got the sixth sense in there. I'm not finished. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right, go on then. Well, worry not, because this talented director will spell it out for you far more than he needs to in an unsatisfying final act that will most likely leave his career hanging in the balance. Yes, Glass may have been his previous cinematic failure, but will this be the last, uh, Bender? Mm. <laughs> Should have stopped. Balance. Yeah, that was a bit of a weak. Did you do, did you do split? Probably with anxiety and uncertainty, the group split off. Into various factions, yeah. They're all in there. I didn't miss one. (laughs) That was good. That was excellent. Very good. James, could you make that less convoluted and summarise what it's all about, please? A thriller about a family on a tropical island who discover that the secluded beach where they are relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. James, what did you think of our first return to the cinema together, old? I said this for The Tomorrow War as well, and I think something else. It's nice to watch something that is not just a piece of content from a bigger franchise. Someone, M. Night Shyamalan, had an idea for a film. They've made it, and I got to see it through to the end. And I think this is more about the idea, the ageing than the plot. They're on a beach. They want to get off. They have different ideas for getting off, but that's all there is to the plot. The fun and the progression comes from how many different ways can they exploit the idea of rapidly aging cells? Fast healing, decaying dead bodies, rapidly growing tumours, pregnancy. That's what was captivating for me, not character development or thematic depth, which is absent from the film. For a film with only one location for two-thirds, 
it didn't drag for me. There were changes of pace and shocking discoveries and events that kick things into a different gear. And even though it would have been good for them to somehow figure out more about what was going on through some outside information or discoveries in the ground, which almost happens when they find some rusty spoons, uh, the lack of detail helped create the panic and desperation. It's not overly gory or scary. I think it is rated 12. There is one particularly disturbing scene, but overall it's quite a tame suspense film consistent with M. Night Shyamalan's other works, I think. I've seen some comments saying that it's trying to go for deeper topics. Is it? I don't think so. Maybe it's not really good enough for me to think about that, or maybe it just fails to put those ideas across. But I think with what you were just saying there, maybe think there is something. There is something deeper going on. Don't let your life just slip by. Is that the point? I don't know. There are some shot choices that are so over-the-top stylistic that it distracts from what is going on like showing half someone's face to show that they're going through it in a turmoil look at their eye and how full of turmoil he is or when they try to go into the caves and everything goes shaky it looks really cheap and unfinished but overall it does it does look good they make the most of that very limited setting on the beach the execution of the aging whether it's different actors or aging actors subtly that was all done well, as well as it could have been. I think they pushed the 20-year-old actors to the limit to make them look mid-30s by the end. I think it's a good cast, but without character development, it's hard to say more than that. I think everyone does a good job of reacting to the situation. They're just vessels for the film's gimmick. Daniel, what did you think of old? I just want to start off by saying, had I not watched the trailer before we recorded, I would have stopped you speaking about seven times then. But it turns out that all of this is in the trailer, which I find absolutely unbelievable and is more reason for why I never watch them until after I've seen the film. I just can't believe they give away so much. Um, the premise for this film is, is good. I liked it. Uh, you know, a bunch of strangers find themselves isolated on a beach, witnessing something truly abnormal occurring before the very eyes. And the initial setup leading to them getting to the beach, it was well established. You've got a marriage in crisis. This couple are playing happy families with the kids, despite the fact that they are going to be divorcing. It's like a final hurrah in the sunshine before they ruin the children's lives forever. Simple yet effective. Once at the beach, things continue to be intriguing. A body washes up on the shore and you slowly learn that mystical forces are at work or perhaps something else that are causing people to age. Interesting. I was really fully on board at this point. As things progress and the rapid aging gets into full swing, things started to creak a lot for me. And it's because it unfolds in such a bizarre fashion. The concept itself is obviously bizarre as it is, but the staging of people realising what's happening and some of the accompanying dialogue just felt so clunky and poorly written at points that it just didn't feel authentic. I've never been in this scenario, so I can't speak to that, but I just didn't feel it. It was definitely going for this chaotic weird sort of tone to it but instead it came across as a bit amateurish and ill-conceived to me 
And I do remember at one point I turned to you and I just mouthed the words or word wow. And that's all I said. And it wasn't because I was in awe of what I was seeing. Quite the opposite. I just thought this is so poorly executed that I can't believe how quickly it's devolved into such a sloppy mess. And a laughable one at times because this, the scene where everything's kicking off and people are slowly finding out what's going on and at the very end of it, someone just shouts, the dog's dead, and then it goes to black. And it was like a culmination of the silliness of everything that came before it. But it just lost me, and I, I was pissing myself laughing. And I, I wasn't the only one. It was like it was an unintentional punchline to a terrible joke. And it wasn't the only moment like that. And I, I might be wrong, and I might have missed something, because as you well know, James, I made the horrific decision to buy an, an Oasis drink before we went in, which caused me to profusely sweat. And then I got very nervous that I was sweating. I had to leave the cinema twice and probably subsequently missed five minutes of the film. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that comedy was, was a target for this film. I think it was accidental. And you said before about, is it going for some sort of deeper meaning? Do you know what? Maybe it wasn't, but it annoyed me about the film really the fact that it doesn't do anything with what could have been a deep topic to touch on like getting old coming to terms with impending death it's a universal thing that everyone has to reconcile at some stage in the life and it should speak to everyone and anyone and because of that there could have been some real emotional heft to this and then if you add in the fact that not only is death not within the control, but it's accelerated at a really alarming pace. It's like this race against time and you should feel the clock ticking and the stakes being lifted, but I didn't feel any of that at all. I just don't feel like it capitalised on that idea. It's like it shows it to you, but it has nearly nothing to say about it. And it's far more concerned with setting up this final twist, which isn't really a twist, as to why they're all there and what the purpose of it is. Script and storyline aside, it looks good. I agree with you from a cinematography point of view. I felt as if they were isolated despite the vastness of the surroundings. I thought they captured that really well. The actors are very good despite having to deliver some really hammy dialogue. And I agree that the aging mechanic itself is not perfect, but I think it really does work like that transition of the actors into different actors um it worked for the most part and i don't really think it should so i'll give him credit for that and i think part of the way he achieves that is he leaves sets of actors to focus on another part of the island or something else that's going on and then he comes back to them and oh my god things have really changed and i think that's quite well done um i'm not saying he doesn't have talent but ambiguity does not exist in this this film at all it's like he doesn't know how to be subtle at points characters are stating the absolute obvious to one another repeatedly and the final reveal was so overly explained that it was unnecessary the more that i've had chance to mull it over despite the fact that i've banged on for five minutes the less i have to say about this film i've pretty much forgotten a lot of it already i think this have, could have been something really profound but instead i just felt it was a bit lacking very well said yeah it could have done more with the idea of the passage of of time but it does focus on the gimmick entirely 
that scene that you're talking about where someone says the dog's died it's it's it's, it's off camera someone says it from off camera and it is funny but i I was entertained and I wasn't taking it that seriously. And I thought that's so funny that how could that not be an intentional joke? Mm. I'm not going to try and defend it though, because all your, all your points are valid. And it has split, split, split. Nice. Yep. It has split critics on Rotten Tomatoes, 50% critics, 52% audiences. And it sounds like we are split as well. And I think when we were walking out, I was nodding saying, yeah, that was good. And you were so disgusted that you said, are you joking? Yeah, that happened. Yeah. yeah. I think I asked you three times after that as well, just to make sure. Plus, we had a text exchange earlier in the week where we were talking about something. And I asked if you liked it. And then I said, I don't know what to think of your opinion anymore because you liked old. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, should we ask each other one more time for the sake of the format of the podcast? James, would you recommend old? Yes. Daniel, would you recommend old? No. Okay, let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. If you've seen the trailer, you've seen all the information that the the film has to offer, apart from the ending, in which... M. Night Shyamalan, who's recording everything from a cliff top, he takes the videotape back to a laboratory and the evil doctor, who's also the hotel manager, he goes everyone round and says, let's have a moment of silence for Trial 73. And then he explains the plot of the film. He, in a, the most blatant bit of exposition you've ever seen, he says, gather round everyone, I'm going to explain what this film was about. What it's about is that there's an unexplained natural phenomenon that ages people's cells and we give people medicine for their illnesses that we already know about. We engineer a situation where we send those people to an island where we're allowed to observe the effects of our medicine on their illnesses, hence it being a trial. And some of these trials have led to successful trials of medicine that's gone into production and saved hundreds of lives or even thousands and it turns out that in this film they do find a cure for epilepsy this whole thing at the end seems like an attack some have interpreted on like big pharmaceutical companies and how evil they are in america and they pointed out the fact that what's really ironic about this takedown is that they've just found a cure for epilepsy and they are going to shut this down and completely deny thousands and thousands of people a cure for an illness like this that has plagued the life and that is so true like there's no justice for those people in that and i just thought yeah fair comment that's that's kind of counterproductive to what you're arguing that i i don't know if it needed this whole explanation personally i could have done without it what did you like it? Did it add to it? I didn't like that it was so over-explained and that it gave you everything. I think they could have done something like that, but just with no dialogue. Just mm. send him back to the lab, show that they've got the list of illnesses, the names, and then that's it. Something like that. Well, you see that, yes, they're being observed, and it's obviously a test of some kind, but to find out what's really going on, you've got to 
get the DVD and, and pause it and see that they're actually looking at results of the medicine they've been given. And when you go back and watch it, you see, oh, they were given a drink when they first arrived, which they remind you of again later on when someone else arrives, they give them a drink. Yeah. To show you, I remember this when they arrived at the hotel and got a drink. This is what happens. It's, it's over explained. So I could have done without it. Yeah. I agree. And do you know what I would have preferred? I would have preferred M. Night going back to the lab, but it actually not being a lab, but it being a cinema and him test screening a pilot episode for the reboot of Lost. That's what I would have preferred the twist to be. And all the inhabitants were just. Uh, unknowingly part of this uh, reboot of the Lost franchise. I think that would have been a better film. It would, yeah, it would. What did you think about M. Night? I'm just going to refer to him as M. Night. And we're on first name terms, so there you go. Why does he insist on being in his own films? It, it, it really reeks of narcissism to me. And as soon as I saw him, knowing what a reputation he has, it took me out of the film. I just thought, why do you have to be front and centre? Just stay in the background. He's not even a bad actor, but it's the ego around it that I just thought, why have you done this? You're asking to be hounded. I think he's always cameoed, but have his cameos got bigger and bigger in every film to the point where he's got a full-on role for himself now? From I don't what? think this is bigger than a, like another role that he's had, but didn't it start off as quick... Alfred Hitchcock style appearances, but now he's he's like the main villain in the film. Well, the the villain with the most screen time in the whole film. I agree. So distracting, yeah. So distracting. But I did like the meta level of it of the actual director of the film. His role in the film was to film the people in the film. Oh yeah, yeah. That's quite neat, I suppose. But that's also a bit of an ego thing as well that was also very distracting. Props to him as well, though, for one thing. He self-financed this, didn't he? Probably because no studio would go near him. Uh, but uh, I think he's done a... I mean, I've just completely tore the film apart, but he's done all right if this was a self-financed thing. Um, and plus it was shot during the pandemic as well, so I can only imagine that came with its own challenges. So at the end of the day, well, well done for, for making something. There do seem to be multiple endings to this. There's one moment in particular where it flashes back to the son and daughter, aged son and daughter, swimming to explain how they got out. Helicopter, zoom, out, shot, music swells, it's the end. Half the people in the cinema got up to leave, but then another scene started and they all awkwardly sat back down again. And there was one other scene like that and then it did really end the third time it was going to end. It was like the end of Return of the King, except an unearned extended ending. <laughs> that again over-explained things. I don't think they needed to have the scene where they were in the helicopter saying, let's go home and speak to our aunts. That We didn't need that. Cut that out. Yeah, could have done with a bit of trimming around the edges. And I don't feel as though that, that coral cave thing that they swim through I mean, it's the same as the island itself, but it's all the wrong bits are explained. I'm not saying that I demanded an answer to why this abnormal thing happens on the beach, but to go so far with this scientific experimentation angle and not address why the island is the way it is or why they get out 
through going through this coral reef. I, I, I just thought it was missing some key bits, shall we say. Yeah, I think you're right. They go out of the way to explain why their hair isn't growing really long, which which was a non-issue for me. But yeah, you're right. They don't explain why it is that the coral reef protects them. Well, they try. There's a line where they say that if they if they put some metal over the head, it'll protect them from this kind of effects of going to a space where time passes differently. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't do very well. Just make a helmet out of all the spoons that were buried in the sand from the hotel then. Idiots. Yeah. Slightly related to the coral scene. At the end, they're swimming through the coral tunnel and the daughter gets a shirt caught and you don't think they're going to make it out. M. Night Shyamalan is watching from above. He sees that they don't swim out the other end and then he leaves and then he reports back to his boss. I watched them for 90 seconds. They didn't come out. I watched them for exactly 90 seconds, no longer, and then walked away, didn't check anymore, left it there, because after 90 seconds, there's zero chance that they will come back out. After 90 seconds, I left. I did think that. I did think that. Have you heard about the controversy this week with John Barrowman? No, who's that? He was one of the guys in Torchwood, the Doctor. Who oh, yeah, got, he's got, he got his cock out. Yes. So he's back in the headlines because he went seeing this film and then demanded a refund, describing it as utter, utter shite. And um, he got quite a furious backlash because he tagged M. Night Shyamalan in his post, which everyone thinks is a bit too disrespectful and too far and shows that he has no class. Um, and all I was going to say, James, is if we want to be on the map as a podcast, can we do the same? Despite your glowing recommendation this week, can we just post my opinions on the Instagram post and tag Gam Knight in it? Yeah, and we'll tag John Barrowman as well. Yeah. Yes. Genuine. Let's do that. It's maximum impact. Still recommend though, yeah? Yep, still recommend. I had, I had fun. I had fun with seeing how many ways can they exploit this gimmick, like when she cuts this guy with the rusty knife and then he gets poisoning, or the scene that I'm referring to, the disturbing scene where the woman with low calcium and brittle bones, she breaks her bones, but the bones heal very quickly, but in the wrong place. Mm. So she crawls through this tunnel and she breaks her bones so much that she's just this crumpled mess of broken bones and then she dies like that that was a genuinely disturbing scene mm. the pregnancy thing people were laughing at that i think it was intentionally funny that there's a woman that gets pregnant it cuts back to her she's fully pregnant the baby pops out it doesn't end well but six-year-old who's pregnant let's, let's make yeah. it abundantly clear <laughs> you'll never see that again no hopefully so I was having I was having fun. I could, I felt like the film was having fun with the gimmick, and I was having fun as well. Okay. Well, it's good. It's good um, that we have different opinions. And... Yeah, we will have different opinions next week. Let's see if I can guess what we're we watching. The Suicide Squad. Yes, I knew that. I shouldn't have asked. I'm looking forward to this. I've not yet got full on superhero fatigue, but I feel as though it's it's not far off. Will be this be the thing to tip me over the edge? I don't think it will, but the next one probably will. 
after that. James, any, you know, weather picks up, people might be planning a trip to the beach. In light of what you've learned from this film, would you recommend anything? Don't spend too much time in the sun because it does age you very badly. Fine advice. And uh, always always wear sunscreen. It's Bounce, bounce Level on Saturday. <laughs>